live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. Duvernay and Ricard stacked to the right. Jackson rolls to the right, throws to Drake at the four, turns the corner, touchdown Ravens! Duvernay in motion to the left, he'll get the handoff of the jet sweep, gets a block, he's at the 10, five, touchdown! It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Friday, Friday, getting down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Partying, 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 partying. Yeah! All right, here we go. Friday, 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 Treasure Island is the spot it's halloween weekend we got world series starting up here on this friday tons of nfl to get to some college football as well michael felder college football insider coming up in about 15 minutes we got to go over what happened last night interesting game with utah and washington state adam candy we cover it all buddy we cover it all oh we do and we're going to get even a little tmz today aren't we aren't we cofield we are going to get a little we're talking a little celebrity we are going to get a little TMZ. Uh, I don't. You know, I mean, it's, it is celebrity, but I mean, it is affecting. I think what's happening on the football field. So let's do it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. And I did not mention maybe the biggest events of the weekend locally, and that's VGK hockey. So Nevada Day and VGK is actually playing today. A three o'clock start against the Ducks. We'll have updates as much as we can throughout the program. So what do we look for? This afternoon, Candy, when it comes to Vegas Golden Knights hockey. Most important thing to note about the Vegas Golden Knights is that even though the lines have been essentially restacked to give you two very strong top lines, you're getting scoring all the way up and down the lineup right now. The goaltending has been better than average. You just need it to be good uh, with the stars they have. And you've seen Jack Eichel play at a superstar level, so... You've had all of the pieces that you need to be in place for the Golden Knights thus far. Just remember that when it comes to this team, there's not going to be a lot of room to maneuver. So if you see them doing well early on, think, all right, well, what are they going to do to add to this team? Probably not a whole lot. You just got to hope for this kind of performance continued. Yeah, good topic as well with the trade deadline coming up around the NFL where a lot of teams are making moves and the NFL has been a lot different than past years. So you mentioned the TMZ point. Well, Buccaneers lose last night. We've all said that Brady doesn't look right. He looks like he's kind of gaunt and skinny. You know, I care about the man, Candy. I'm not sure that that you do. Listen, we've all been through breakups, I think. I don't know if Candy is, uh, you know, with the same person that he was at whatever, 14. Um, These things happen, but to have it play out on a public stage is pretty freaking rough. And, boy, in the middle of a football season, Giselle, in the middle of a football season, what are we doing here? Let's keep it quiet until after the Super Bowl. Are you serious? Everything revolves around sports. No? Along along those lines, uh, <laughs> Cofield, just I want to take a quick moment and wish a wish a happy 30th to my Snooky. Um, oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. I got it yeah, wrong. Well, I didn't know. No, four, 14 was a great time to start the, the one relationship of my life, and, and things are going fantastic. I don't understand how oh. Tom and Giselle can't just fight through it. Come on. Be a man and a woman. Fight. I mean, can't you just wait until after work is done? 
after the football I, season. I don't understand. Really? You got to do it now? I, 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 just have priorities. Very right? mean. Very mean. Yeah, Giselle files for divorce after 13 years of marriage to the same man who also had a child with another woman. Timing of how that all went down uh, certainly up for question. But, hey, it's a, it's a sports show. Uh, let's not get too far in on Brady because he's not the problem. All right. I, I know that everybody loves to clown how he looks now and – there will always be questions around our good buddy Doc Guerrero and what really is involved in the TB12 method and the TB12 diet. Yeah, there, there are plenty of things that we can clown. But when it comes to Tom Brady's performance on the field, and the fact that the Bucks are 3-5 and five now after losing last night, it's not Brady, all right? It's not him. He is PFF's seventh-rated quarterback this year. If you saw a couple of the throws he dropped into Mike Evans last night, Tom Brady is fine. How about a receiver gets open? How about the middle of this line blocks somebody? How about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers give Tom Brady the opportunity to still be as good as he is at 45 years old? That's the real problem. Problem is not Tom Brady being distracted by Giselle. It's not him having to leave training camp for a couple of days. It's not him being distracted by anything happening right now. The rest of this team needs to play better around him. You mentioned the middle of the line. Are they capable of playing better with the uh, start to the season interior of the line down and out? Well, we Ali Marpet was never coming back, but you get my point. The changes in the middle seem to be torpedoing the season. I've seen some, some football people, some analytics people saying, listen, the, the hope for improvement might have died in the preseason when the middle of the line went out. Well, Alex Kappa is now a Cincinnati Bengal leaving in free agency. And I think most importantly, probably for Brady, for a quarterback who we've had this discussion forever, you've got to protect him up the middle, right? You've got to keep players from coming directly in. Well, when Ryan Jensen goes down with a knee injury in training camp because some tryhard at the end of the roster decides to go low on him. A Russell Wilson understand. of the defensive line, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, not going to go that far. Johnny Tryhard. That's Russell Wilson's new name. No, Russell, no, no. Well, Russell well, Tryhard. Do you do you think anyone would have gotten to Russell Wilson's knees going low? High knees, baby. High knees. Get him up. Get him up. No one's getting to Russell there Wilson's knees. <laughs> no one's getting anywhere near it. So Tom Brady has not had the same interior offensive line. He hasn't had the same support from his running game. You talk about the middle of that line. I, I great PFF breakdown the other day by Seth Galina talking about how Big Lenny Fournette needs to be able to run north and south. you got to get him going up the middle. Well, they can't do that. The middle of the line's getting blown up, and so they're trying to run outside with him. That doesn't work. Can't get there. So Tom Brady's under pressure. The receivers can't separate. They have faced the fourth highest rate of perfectly covered plays in the league this year. That basically means that Tom Brady only has seen three other teams of playing the bad football that he's been talking about who have had their receivers more covered than his. Oh, by the way, one of them, Aaron Rodgers. Let's also point out that last night's loss was not embarrassing. Previous losses have been. Losing to the Panthers while they're trying to bail, that was terrible. Ravens are good. I'm not sure how good, uh, but I don't think people realize how good they are. They're 5-3 and three now. I, I'd seen this uh, number thrown out by Josh Dubow from AP. He said, teams since the merger to lead by double digits in each of, uh, each of their first eight games of the season. And the Ravens are one of them. Every other team at this point in the season was 8-0 or 7-1. and 
Now, some of that was the Ravens doing. You know, they – I'm not going to – I'm not even going to say it's analytics. Harbaugh is aggressive on fourth down opportunities. Sometimes he will pass up field goals to get the first down, and I most often in those cases will blame execution. They didn't execute in some key moments in some of those games where they had big leads and blew it and got a bit dramatic in the fourth quarter. The Ravens are good. This is a good team. And Lamar Jackson last night, which, by the way, if you want to blame, you, know, you want to talk about Brady and, oh, there's some weapons gone, the receiving core is not, it's back now. Uh, Lamar Jackson is not exactly working with a murderer's row of receivers. So they're good on offense. They just got to get a little better winning close games. That's a good Ravens team. Isaiah Likely, who blew up the Buccaneers last night, the rookie tight end from Coastal Carolina, would be the best tight end on the Tampa Bay roster right now. It's not even close. He, as the number two who jumped in for Mark Andrews last night, would be far, far better. Now, Devin Duvernay seems to have found a home in this offense after struggling for a while. But the thing is, it revolves around the line for Baltimore, and it revolves around a scheme that other teams don't have. Other teams don't play the way the Ravens play. You have to prepare for them differently every single week than you do for most other teams and that's hard on a short week and it's hard when you're as beat up as the Buccaneers were so look you're talking to the right person if you want to talk about the Baltimore Ravens I have been higher than the market on the Baltimore Ravens all year long and I will continue to be higher on them because they're healthy now that was the biggest problem this team had early in the year they didn't have Ronnie Stanley the Gorman guy they didn't have their top two cornerbacks in Peters and Humphrey healthy they're finally getting healthy and you're finally starting to see the Ravens that you probably would have seen all year long if they had had that health I don't even want to hear about the double digit leads in every game all you have to tell me is that they were up 20 to 3 on the Buffalo Bills no one else has even made the Bills look competitive this year they were up 20 to 3 that shows me who the Ravens are Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar here on a Friday it's inside Treasure Island, we're here until 6. Happy hour going on right now. All the games are on. VGK, the beginning of the World Series, coming up here in an hour and 50 minutes. And it's Halloween weekend at Treasure Island. So over at Gillies, they've got multiple costume contests. Come on down here tomorrow or on Monday on Halloween with your costume. You go into Gillies. They've got a costume contest going down with uh, 850 bucks up for grabs. First place is 500 Second is 250 Third is 100 bucks. So on both Saturday. And Monday, they got the uh, norm. They got their dancing lessons and all the good stuff at Gillies, and then a uh, massive costume contest each night with 850 bucks up for grabs each night, each night down here at Treasure Island. Tomorrow at 9 a.m., it's Throw the Flag with Willie Ramirez and Gooch, live from the Treasure Island, right here on ESPN Las Vegas. You are listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. A big weekend for the Golden Knights as they're playing right now against the Ducks. Early start on Nevada Day. Another game on Sunday. On Saturday, they're off day. They're all going to be working a little bit, making appearances around Las Vegas. You can join DeMond from over on Raider Nation Radio 920, 230 to 430, Centennial Toyota, and in 95. Southern Nevada Toyota dealers are hooking you guys up with player appearances from the Golden Knights. Riley Smith. Riley Smith will be at Centennial Toyota. You can go get a free autograph picture, free food from Porta Subs, Raising Canes, and Crumble Cookies. Saturday, 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 DeMond and Riley Smith, 2.30 at Centennial Toyota. It's all powered by Toyota, the official vehicle of hockey in Las Vegas. Let's bring in our college football insider, Michael Felder, joins us every week from the Learfield podcast family you can find him on twitter at 
in the bleachers. I'll get right into it, Mike. I saw Notre Dame last week. I thought solid team. Very interesting, though, where they are in the season. Now they face Syracuse. What do you think of this one? This is an interesting one. Uh, we're obviously, rumors that Sean Tucker might be a little bit dinged up. I think he's going to be okay. I think he's going to give it a go. I think him not getting a lot of touches a week ago against Clemson meant two things. One, he got a little bit more rest than normal, but also, too, he didn't have to get hit by that Clemson defense, <laughs> So, which is a huge thing because that defense is really, really good. So the big thing for me is this is – Syracuse is a true one-two punch from a running game standpoint. Tucker and then obviously Garrett Schrader, both of those guys, the quarterback and the running back, both of those guys can run. I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like. Also, I will say this, Syracuse's defense is good. They are good. I remember watching um, – I remember going into the game against Clemson, and my only question was, how does how does Syracuse score against Clemson? And then we saw, what did we get? Uh, scoop and score. So they're able to get out to that 21-10 to 10 lead. Okay, okay, we're in business. They got they got DJ Uyangalele benched. And so for me, watching them play, it, it's just a matter of how do you manufacture points. Now, the difference is Notre Dame's not really great at scoring either. So what I'm most interested, if you're going to watch this football game, Watch how Syracuse plays Michael Mayer. Yep. That is the most important element here. We saw Stanford take away Mayer, and they were able to get a win against Notre Dame. And then we go back, and let me see. I, I want to pull it up because I want to make sure I get these ones right. Then we see, um, here we go, receiving Mayer. Mayer has 500-something yards right now. But listen, listen to these games. Five catches against Ohio State, but only for 32 yards. They paid attention. Marshall, eight catches for 103 yards. They did not pay attention. Two catches for 10 against Cal. Great. They paid attention. North Carolina, seven catches for 88 yards. Not paying. How is he wide open? How is this guy wide open? 11 catches for 118 yards against BYU. Cover him. If you don't cover anybody else, cover him. And so the key, he had he had six catches for 115 last week against UNLV. That was, and by the way, Michael Felder's with us. That was all in the first half, and then they didn't target him much in the second. Um, he was open, but I'll tell you what. He's he wasn't open a couple of times, and he made some catches. He made a catch around yeah. one of the UNLV linebackers that yeah. was sick. But I get your point. He's got to be weapon number one. That Big stop. Up. I want to go back to the Syracuse offense. Mike does four hard downs. Uh, you can go through Facebook and Bulletin to get that. You talked about some offensive innovation that Cuse used and another team used on the wheel route. I wanted you to explain that in as you know as much layman's terms as you can for the audience about using the wheel route effectively. So I think the really cool thing is motion. So you, you get a little zigzag motion. And when you get the zigzag motion, that makes that makes the safety and the linebacker reveal what they're doing. If you're going to kick and mix, the two safeties spin. If the linebacker is going to run with them, he runs with them. But if the safety is going to trade him, he trades him. So the tra- safety moves back to the deep middle. The other safety comes down. But the cool thing that I really liked is seeing uh, Syracuse, they operated out of a um, tackle over. So you have center, usually you have center, guard, tackle. To both sides. This was center, guard, tight end. Center, guard, tight end, and then center, guard, tackle, tackle. Motion man across that showed a little play action. The linebackers get confused. The defensive end gets confused. They all move out to that little swing, which could be a screen. You get the tight end going to the inside to the seat, occupies the corner, occupies the safety. Then you get that running back wheel, and that wheel, bang, that's a touchdown. It's a beautiful play. We're seeing a lot of teams do that. I, I really am enjoying watching how they all operate. There's been a lot of offensive innovation, and uh, Michael Felder does a really good job on his breakdown on four hard downs with videos, and it's a, it's a good learning 
experience. All right, let's learn a little bit about Michigan State. I know you're close to the program because your Oof. wife went there, right? And uh, yeah. They're getting 23 against Michigan. What exactly has happened to Mel Tucker and this uh, team of, you know, a lot of high-impact transfers like Jacoby Winman from UNLV? They're, they're not good. <laughs> there you, you go. You, listen, here, here, you know their points per game? 27. Opponents' points per game? 27.1. That's not good. No. That is not good because that's also buoyed by Western Michigan, Akron. You take away those games, even Wisconsin, who's not a very good football team that they barely, they barely were able to beat uh, a week ago or two weeks ago. This is a team that's in disarray. I, I, they're not in love with um, Peyton Thorne. They're figuring out who they are, but they don't have – they can't get the ball to the weapons because they can't block. If you can't block, you can't keep your quarterback upright. So what are you doing? This is a team that's given up, you know, 12 sacks, but more quarterback pressures. And they also aren't good in coverage. Like, if we're being quite honest, this is a team that cannot cover anybody. And so if they don't get to the quarterback, if they don't get a sack, the reality is you can they can get carved up. And I just – it's crazy to think that 10, 11 uh, – that, excuse me, 10, 9, 8, 7 years ago, this is a team – six years ago, this team was in the playoff. And eight years ago, they had, what was it, the no-fly zone with, like, Darquez, Denard, and all those guys? And now they just – and they've got a defensive backs coach as their quarterback coach in Mel Tucker – or, excuse me, as their head coach in Mel Tucker. They've got a – he was a lifelong defensive backs coach. Coach for Alabama, coach for Georgia, obviously coached in the NFL. And they look sloppy and unsure – and the other part with them, the interesting part is it seems like they don't know who's even supposed to be in the game. And it's not – it's a combination of it. Again, we talked about it. You're either coaching it or you're allowing it to happen. They've got guys who seem to be pretty quality athletes that don't listen. And then they've got other guys that seem to be limited athletes that listen, but they can't get stops. And at some point, you they what Michigan State's always done is marry those two things, right? Like you marry – a Plexico Burris with the, with a this guy, or you marry a Le'Veon Bell with a this guy, or you marry a Darquez Denard with a bunch of linebackers that can get the job done. You have Riley Bulla, who is he the most athletic linebacker? Absolutely not. But guess what? He knew what he was doing, and then you put some pieces around him that were super athletic that could go make plays. Uh, the kid, now I can't even remember his name. I think he got drafted by Seattle. But you got, you have these like a couple monsters, and then you have other guys that get the job done, and that's what they've got to figure out. And they just don't have the recipe right now. Boy, after all that, I can I bet Michigan State plus twenty three? Ooh, <laughs> sounds like no. <laughs> I would say no, man. Honestly, right. like that. I think I think Michigan, especially. I talked to Jake Butt last night, and um, I think Michigan is hyper focused on this game because this is a game that they've lost when they have been better than Michigan State. I think they're hyper focused on this one because, obviously, in, myself included, people are saying that Michigan's not that good. People are saying they don't trust Michigan. I think they're going to have to use this game to prove to people that they are ready to kind of stomp on your neck when they get an opportunity. Michael Felder, college football expert on Cofield and Company. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at In the Bleachers. He's part of the Learfield podcast family as well. All right, down the stretch here, last couple of games. Um, you talked about disarray, and this is not a major game, but I did want to examine what's going on in Iowa. A couple of weeks ago, I saw a story up on Slate. It said, the Iowa football team is the best case against nepotism the humankind has ever seen. The head coach, his son, and the world's worst offense. And I know uh, Kirk Ferentz kind of flipped out this week about the questioning. And, they, I mean, the media has really gone after him saying, hey, Brian Ferentz stinks. Why don't you replace him? Well, there's, here's the thing. I don't think Brian Ferentz is good. But I also don't know what they're supposed to do. 
You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what they're supposed to. They average two touchdowns a game, 14 points a game. And a lot of times, one of those touchdowns probably comes from the defense. But what are they supposed to do? Because the issue for them is they don't scare anybody. I think Laporta and Lachey are two really good tight ends. We've seen them have good tight ends before. What was it? Noah Fant and the other guy. They, we've seen them have good tight ends. That's not the issue. The issue is if you don't have anything on the outside to distract, everybody can pack in. Now you got a safety over the top with a linebacker covering that tight end. And you got an offensive line that's not like, remember, Iowa, we're used to Iowa having guys that are supposed to get drafted on that offensive line. Tristan Wirfs. Like, we're used to having those guys. And I don't think they have any of those dudes right now. They're either too young and they have to get better or. They just aren't that aren't up to this up, up to that same level as like uh, uh, of like of, of guy of guys of their of, of their ilk that have played at Iowa. So the big thing for me is Brian Bulaga is who I was thinking of. I couldn't get to his name, but it's literally watching. Obviously, the the cliche is watching paint dry. But here's the reality: Petrus Padilla doesn't matter who you put in at quarterback. Nobody scares you. Look, look at these wide receivers. I mean, it's Laporta and Lachey are your two top pass catchers. Everybody else, I mean, come on. What is this? Bruce, Ragani, Ragiani, excuse me. They're having what for a lot of guys is a really good game, and it's game seven. <laughs> they played seven games. We've seen receivers this season catch over 150 yards of balls in one game. They are they only have they only have three guys, four guys, excuse me, over 150 yards for the entire season. My God. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not good. And it's it's remarkable to see that they don't have any weapons. They don't have any – there's no fear. And the other part of it is their running game is not that good. And when your running game is not that good and you don't have any weapons, what are you going to do? And that's – I don't I don't care who's – I don't care who's calling the plays. If you can't do anything, it doesn't matter what plays you call. Rapid fire down the stretch here, about 30 seconds on uh, each game. Kentucky, I think you believe Kentucky, you know, playing physical football can test Florida. Uh, check that. Uh, test Tennessee a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think this is going to be really interesting. I think uh, Kentucky's got an opportunity here. Uh, the question, again, goes back to the same thing we asked about about Syracuse. How do they score? And Tennessee's defense is really com- is really growing on me. Uh, they're used speed and space in their own ability. So I, I think Tennessee wins, but certainly expect to see a good contest. Georgia is over three touchdowns better than Florida? Yes. Oh, yeah, especially if they turn it on. Florida's a bad football team. And you know what Georgia's going to do? The thing that Utah – Georgia's going to do the thing that Utah did, which is pay attention to Anthony Richardson (laughs) because they're not going to let him run for 100 yards. They're going to make him throw the football to get wins, and they're going to make him throw the football deeper than 12 yards. That's going to be the part that's the most interesting in this ballgame for me. Penn State wound up getting blown out by Michigan. Same thing against Ohio State, catching 15 and a half. Yeah, I think it's gonna it's gonna look different because for for the longest time, Penn State kind of hung around in that football game until Michigan finally uh, created a crease and found some space and had some big plays. I think this is out of the gate. Ohio State wants to make a point. We got to close on this. You tied together before we found out the news about Adidas dumping Kanye. You tied together Kanye West and Kansas. Yes. So here's the thing. I think Kansas is the best thing Adidas has going for him. Obviously, the Kanye West stuff is an absolute mess. I'm waiting. We're counting the hours until they officially drop him. And the big thing for me is Kansas's uniforms. They're the best uniforms that Adidas has made. I think because Kansas is not a football specific school, they don't have a look. Kansas has been able to do a lot of fun things with Adidas. Their uniforms week to week have been some of my favorites. And I'm listen, I'm not an Adidas guy, but their their fits have been outstanding. 
I love the all blues. The light blues we saw last week with the Jayhawk on the helmet was beautiful. So that's the best thing Adidas has going for it. And they listen, I'd be pumping up Kansas and shutting down Kanye. Add in the bleachers on Twitter. Sign up for his bulletin. It's awesome. You learn a lot about football, a lot of funny stuff, uh, food and uh, chefing as well. Michael Felder, thank you so much. Thank you so much, man. It's always fun. That's Michael Felder from the Learfield Podcast. Family joins us every week to preview the world of college football. Giveaway time, 364-1100, Caller 7. Winner gets a six-foot classic sub from Porta Subs. You also qualify to win a new Yeti cooler from Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas. Six-foot classic sub, Porta Subs. Right now, call Ari. He'll hook you up. Caller 7, 364-1100. Join Cofield and Company on Fridays for the 3 to 6 show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. You know, losing, we're, you know, we're playing to win, so, you know, losing is no fun for any of us. We put a lot into it, and, uh, yeah, we're just coming up short. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Tom Brady, depressed for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to say his life sucks right now. I would say his, his home life does if you're getting divorced. That, that does blow. Candy Cofield, thanks to Michael Felder. I want to get to some more college football. That's his expertise. A couple more college football notes here in a second. Sharp money last night, Candy, was mostly on the Buccaneers, right? The line moved pretty significantly. That line was all over the place, but the late move, the late steam that generally is associated with the, the sharp money when the limits go up was on Tampa Bay. Okay. So I'm watching the Tampa game, and first I see a college football, national college football insider piss and moan about the fact that the Pac-12 has a top 15 team playing on Thursday night against Thursday night football. Like uh, The game's going to end on the NFL. You're going to be able to flip over. Relax. It's still good exposure. By the way, a lot of people, a lot of college football fans don't even like the NFL. So if they want to watch college football, they were going to watch Utah and Wazoo. And then I see something brewing like this shock on social media that Cam Rising, the starting quarterback for Utah, is not playing. It comes from out of nowhere. When I see stuff like this in college football, Candy, you know what my reaction is? Like, a, you know, a surprising absence of a player my reaction is almost nothing it is the norm now it's a little weird at quarterback but we see it all the time and you had we'll call them as we have in the past and this is not a jealousy thing but you see kind of the infantile childish amateurish or takes amateurish takes from the newly minted betting experts Cam Rising missed the game. He had an injury. They didn't tell anyone. And I start seeing tweets like this. This is totally unacceptable in a world where sports betting is now heavily popular in the mainstream that nobody knows until kickoff that a starting quarterback of a team is out. Cam Rising, a stunning last-second absence tonight for Utah. That can't be allowed to happen. Another person, change the way college football injuries are reported. What way? They're not. What do you mean change the way they're reported? The NFL, and you can fill in people more on this, the NFL officially, unofficially has, well, the reason is unofficial. I think we know why it was happening. The NFL has reported injuries for years. That doesn't mean that college football needs to 
change the way they operate. I know you saw this stuff last night, and I was like just facepalm for multiple minutes. Like, who are these idiots who are demanding that colleges all over the country have to give out injury reports now because there's legalized gambling in states? It's complicated in a lot of ways, Cofield, and the one that isn't complicated is that if there were standardized injury reporting across NCAA football, and there isn't, be clear about that, there is no standard to it. There's no requirement. No one has to report anything when it comes to injuries in college football. But if they did, you would take away one of the major concerns that comes along with the spread of legal sports betting, which is, is a kid or someone else involved in a program going to leak inside information, right? Is some kid who is an assistant trainer who is a junior in college who happens to be around the room and knows that Cam Rising or someone else has been in in for treatment all week and gets incentivized, shall we say, by someone with an interest in the game, Right. then yeah then that's a problem. But let's be clear about the, where the landscape is right here, right now, today. Yes, injury reporting has been part of the NFL for decades because of gambling. But if you're going to make the argument yep. of in a legal sports betting era, well, you might not ha- like the NCAA's stance toward right. legalized gambling, but it's different than pro sports. Yeah. They don't have these deals that everybody else has. Nope. By the way, so they don't have to. There are, what, two states that have zero, zero forms of gambling in their state. What are they? Uh, Utah has yeah. no form of gambling in yeah. the state. Hawaii has no so, form I mean, of gambling you know, in the state. So, I mean, for all these people out there, it's like, yeah, you, Utah doesn't even, they don't want to be part of this anyway. Maybe the school does to get the money, but right now you can't bet there anyway. It's not legalized. So, yeah, sometimes it's actually a strategy in college football to not inform. I mean, it, I think it's very hypersensitive and, you know, kind of, crazy sometimes that they don't give out the information but they don't and you should know this as a better candy when you're betting college football it is buyer beware anything can happen before the game you never you never truly know who's going to walk out on the field you have no idea that's part of the game and that's why those who bet college football have to spend so much time the brad powers of the world have to spend so much time trying to find as much information as they can about what's going on because, like it or not, the NCAA treats gambling differently. Join Cofield and company on Mondays for the live 2 to 5 show at Twin Peaks in Henderson. Big beers for under 4 bucks. Select appetizers are 2 4 and $6. Come hang at Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football. He's one of the best safeties in our game. He does everything. And uh, when you have a guy that can do a lot, you can do a lot with him and he's a great competitor and this defense you know all of them are physical but they're violent at the point of attack you know they're aggressive and there's a lot of great great people on that defense that i've gotten to know over the years and none of us like each other this week but you know i do have respect for those guys you know whenever we're not playing hang in at the golden circle sports book and bar inside treasure island it's cofield and company Derek Carr talking about the uh, honey badger as the Raiders are in New Orleans, or going to be, uh, getting ready to take on the Saints. Ross Jackson covers the Saints for Locked On Podcast, and he's up with Adam Candy, Steve Cofield. How are you, sir? Hey, guys. Uh, doing great, doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Pleasure to speak with you. We appreciate you coming on. So uh, just a couple minutes ago, we were talking about injury reporting in college football, and I wanted to tie this all together. There was a Thursday night game last night. Utah's quarterback was mysteriously out right at the beginning of the game. Explain to me what the hell is going on first. 
with Jameis Winston and you know Andy Dalton. What, what is happening with Jameis and his return? Um, really, I mean, you know, according to Dennis Allen, um, Jameis is healthy or at least healthy enough to play, but they like where the offense has been over the course of the past four weeks with Andy Dalton as the starter. Uh, and they have taken a bit of a step forward. You know, you look at uh, total yards, for instance, they were eighth with Jameis second uh, over the course of the past uh, four weeks. They were 24th in total yards with Jameis, and they ended up moving up to, uh, or excuse me, total points uh, with Jameis. They ended up moving up to third uh, over the course of these past four weeks with Andy Dalton. So they like what Andy Dalton brings as a quarterback to the offense and the way that the offense has been able to move the ball, put points on the board, and all that with uh with Andy Dalton at the helm, I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit surprised. I thought that certainly once Jameis was healthy enough to play, that the Saints would give him an opportunity to keep his job, to go out there and prove that he should keep it. But, you know, um, you know, look, you're already at week eight. You don't have a lot of opportunity here to keep juggling back and forth and trying to evaluate quarterbacks, right? So I understand Dennis Allen being at a position here where he says, okay, we're just going to make a decision and move forward. All right, the mystery of the injury with Michael Thomas. Explain that one. Yeah, so that one is a uh, a toe injury. We don't have the specifics on it. We've asked, but they, you know, it, it's kind of a team policy not to go into a bunch of detail. And the Saints have done a good job keeping a lot of stuff in house. You're not even getting, you know, big reports from national folks and stuff like that on, on on where some of these guys are. But what we know is that um, it's not considered to be long term. Although he's already missed five weeks, Saints made the decision not to put him on injured reserve because they wanted to leave the potential or possibility open to be able to. Um, you know, bring him back within four weeks if he was ready. Now, if you put him on injured reserve, then you're guaranteeing, you know, up to nine weeks missed at this point. So uh team won't be putting him on injured reserve anytime soon, it looks like. And Dennis Allen told us today in his presser that he expects that both uh, Michael Thomas and, and Jarvis Landry as well, who they've both been out since that Carolina game, uh, that they will play again this season and that they're working hard to rehab and get back out on the field. If you were the GM of the Saints and I call you from another team and I'm like, hey, you know what, I want to trade for Michael Thomas. And I say, hey, is he going to play? Is he going to be reliable? What do you say? Uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, first of all, I'm not going to trade him because I've got 38.5 million reasons not to. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and that's all dead cap. Uh, but then the other piece is that, you know, I'd probably tell you the same thing and be consistent with what the head coach has said, which is that, you know, the injury is not considered to be long term, but we do expect him to be out on the field at some point. This season, I just don't know what that necessarily means in terms of what that timeline actually is. The Saints seem to have more of a range of expectations as opposed to a timeline for return. So let's dive into that just a little bit more because you mentioned the $38.5 million in dead cap. And we've seen an NFL trading deadline that is much more active than in past years. But I don't think people understand that the Saints are in a much different position than a lot of other teams because of the way that they've structured their contracts. Exactly. Yeah, they're not in a situation here to where they can really be sellers. Uh, there are a couple of players that they could move. Some names to watch out for would be um, defensive lineman or defensive end, rather, uh, Marcus Davenport, who's still on his rookie deal, although his fifth-year option was restructured. So they would take on some dead cap, but not enough that would keep them from doing anything. And I'm not sure that he's on this roster next season anyway, so you may as well try to get something in return if you can. And the other would be wide receiver Marquez Callaway, especially if they truly do believe that uh, Michael Thomas and um, Jarvis Landry will be back at some point this season. I don't know that either of those guys do get moved, but those are really your trade pieces there. You might throw a wide receiver, Traquan Smith, in that conversation as well. But for the Saints, one of the reasons why you can't trade guys like Michael Thomas and, and you know Alvin Kamara was in you know these you know rumor Twitter accounts, social media frenzy type conversations over the course of this past week 
um, is, is because of the fact that they restructured their contracts, meaning that they took their uh, a portion of their base salary from this year, reduced that all the way down to the veteran minimum that's appropriate for their, their contract scale, and then pushed the rest of the money into future years. And so when you do that, if you trade a player, what happens is that all of the money that's baked into future years ends up accelerating. Some of it accelerates into this season, some of it accelerates into next season. Saints are already $54 million over the salary cap next year because of all of the restructuring and kicking the can down the road. So the last thing you want to do if you're, if you're intent on continuing to kick the can down the road is to sort of, you know, uh, try to accelerate any of it <laughs> into the years. You're trying to keep it all away. So if you trade a player like that, it ends up very much kind of uh, kneecapping you in a way, for lack of a better phrase, uh, in the short term while this team is trying to remain competitive for as long as they can. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that the New Orleans Saints are still essentially paying for the Drew Brees era. Like, they're kicking the yeah, game yeah, down is, the road from They have time. another year of that. <laughs> right, yeah. It's a, here comes another year of it, which is part of the reason that we're talking about Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston at quarterback. Yep. Uh, so now you see that Andy Dalton is not going to have uh, – he's not going to have Michael Thomas. He's not going to have Jarvis Landry this weekend. But he will have Chris Olave. What, what have you seen out of Olave thus far this year? Because it seems like he would be the most dangerous receiving weapon for the Raiders to worry about. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely the wide receiver to keep an eye out on. And, and Andy Dalton hasn't had Michael Thomas or Jarvis Landry in any of his four starts, but he has had Chris Olave. And he and Chris Olave have really good communication. They really like working with one another. Uh, Chris Olave kind of grew a little bit of a bond with Andy during training camp when Jameis was dealing with the, uh, the ankle injury that kept him out for a portion of training camp. And, you know, one of the things that both of these guys have in common, common is that they are incredibly confident and they trust each other a lot. And one of the things you love about Chris Olave as a receiver is that, yeah, he's a rookie, but he has some real veteran understanding of how to impact plays. So he does a very good job of moving in the scramble drill, following the rules that the thing set there. But he kind of just naturally knows how to get open for his quarterback He's a phenomenal route runner, really good off of press uh, as well. I know the, the Raiders like to run a lot of man coverage over there, so that'll be an interesting kind of scheme matchup to watch in terms of limiting Chris Olave. And he also does a very good job of finding pockets in zone as well. So he understands space. He understands how to utilize that, leverage all that. And so he's a, uh, you know, a very, very talented receiver. He's leading all rookies right now in targets, receptions, receiving yards. He's got two touchdowns on the season, and he's leading uh, rookie-wide receivers and converted to first downs as well. So the Saints might not have the big names in terms of Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry out there, but they had their leading receiver on the field this weekend, and he should be a back. At Ross Jackson, NOLA on Twitter. It's Ross Jackson, expert on the Saints from Locked on Saints podcast. A recent podcast he did, he just talked about one of the topics, Andy Dalton and the decision to keep him at quarterback, and also talks about the Saints' floor and Jameis Winston's future in New Orleans. So how do the Saints beat the Raiders? So what they're going to have to do is, uh, first of all, try to keep the ball away from the Raiders' offense as much as possible because really the place that the Saints have struggled so far this season uncharacteristically is over the defensive side, particularly in the run game. Josh Jacobs is making magic out of that, um, out of that, that contract season that he's in right now, and I think that for the Saints, they want to try to keep the ball in their offense's hands as much as possible. So they're going to have to limit turnovers. They're going to have to uh, be able to get pressure on Derek Carr and win on the on the front uh, on the defensive front. The game has kind of got to be won in the trenches for them when they are on defense, and they need to be able to lean on Alvin Kamara in this game, which is going to help you have the ball control, help you have the clock control, and everything. But look for the Saints to still take some shots downfield and continue to attack this Las Vegas Raiders pass rush. hasn't been super successful this season. Forty-four uh, pass rush press, uh, press, 
pressures so far this season. That's the fifth lowest total in the NFL. Don't worry, the Saints are at 42, the third lowest total in the NFL. So there's not much separating uh, the Saints in that conversation either. So whichever one of these teams gets right with their running back, gets right with their uh, with their defensive front, that's going to be the team to, to walk away with a win here. And, uh, you know, the Saints are the ones that are looking for the statement win and hopefully some home field advantage to go their way. And as strange as it sounds, the New Orleans Saints are in the division race at 2-5 and five because yeah. of what's going on right now in the NFC South. Uh, this is one of the craziest divisions we've seen in a long time. I don't know that anyone expected anyone other than the Bucks to be great, but of course the Bucks haven't been great either. Right, yeah, it's, it, it is a... It's an interesting situation, and it's one to where you know you're watching this New Orleans Saints team, which you know up to here as as we speak has been disappointing. Uh, you know, people had higher expectations of the New Orleans Saints. I didn't necessarily expect them to run away with the division by any means, but they had higher expectations for the New Orleans Saints than uh, you know two and five through the first seven games. And but that's where they are right now, and because of the the performance of the other teams that are around them. Um, they're in a situation here to actually still, you know, have something to play for. And when you're a team that's looking to improve, it's better to have, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of something to improve for rather than just trying to improve for your own pride. So that's a big difference for the New Orleans Saints, and, and this is uh, kind of uncharted territory for them. But luckily for them, it's uncharted territory for Tom Brady right now as well. Ross, most important part of the conversation for Las Vegans and other Raiders fans who are listening to Cofield and Company <laughs> We need some advice when they go down to New Orleans. Hollow, first of all, it being Halloween weekend, it, like what a freaking bonus. It's nuts yeah. there. It's the best Halloween city in the country. But where should Raiders fans go get some grub and drink? And, and I assume you're not going to say Bourbon Street. Bourbon Street's awesome. It's fun, yeah. but it is what it is. You got some hot spots? Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, look, if, if you're on Bourbon Street, you're going to find whatever it is that you're looking for. You're, you're going to have an okay time. Don't get me wrong. But if you're... We're going to go a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, you can head down to Uptown over Magazine Street. A couple of spots like Rum House is really fantastic, especially if you really like seafood and if you like some mixed drinks. You know, it's a cocktail city here, so there's lots, uh, lots there for you as well. If you're looking for something that's a little bit more kind of um, famously down home while you're also over in Uptown, you can look at a place called Giacomo's. Giacomo's, and it's spelled like Jacques, the way that you would spell like a like French Jacques. You've got to be careful because there's a Giacomo's pizza as well. But Jacques-I-M-O-S, Emos, Giacomo's, that's the spot to go where if you want, um, you know, shrimp and alligator sausage cheesecake, which isn't actually cheesecake at all, phenomenal. Uh, really, really good stuff there that has some real kind of uh, inventive approaches to Creole classics and things like that. But you can also get the Creole classics. And then I also want to shout out Neos. It's um, yeah. N-E-Y-O-W-S. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Well, uh, I was, ne- was going to name, God, give out the, uh, the deets on that. I was going to name Neos as one of my favorite places. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Neo's in Mid-City, um, you know, black-owned spot, really, really fantastic food. Their shrimp creole is their signature dish, but really you can't go wrong with anything on, on the menu there. It's always popping, too, lots of fun stuff going on there. Try to get a reservation uh, a little bit ahead of time or be yeah. willing to show up and wait, like show up a little early, be willing to wait and everything for a little while, but definitely worth it. Uh, absolutely love Neo's. We only got like 30 seconds left. One of my other favorite places, and it's near Bourbon Street, real dive bar, is Three-Legged Dog, which I think is open. Three-Legged Dog. It's, yeah. it's, it's it's so cool. And when people walk in, they're like, oh, my God, I'm so scared. There's You can do your laundry there. The bathrooms are a nightmare. <laughs> but holy crap, the food is good. So, Ross, we could do this for a while, but we're up against it. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Hey, real pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Y'all take care. Stay safe. Talk to you here soon. We'll get Ross on again. Down the road. You know I love New Orleans, so I'm very jealous that Raiders fans get to go down there for the weekend, Halloween weekend, and 
Those play a lot of those places he named are actually really good for fried chicken. It's a very underrated fried chicken city. 